Intellectual Simulation by Way of Mobile Devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. Hey, this is Paloma Star, and Ethan's guest on the show tonight is WTF show host Nelson Torres. Nelson Torres. Nelson, how are you this evening? I am doing just fine. Man, it's been a while since we talked, man. Um, let me just say, first of all, um, I have to thank you because you have been like the guy that kind of introduced me to public access wrestling because um i was watching public access when i was living in new york and seeing all these different types of shows from g street live the joke show canvas cavity then there was a a show i stumbled upon where you actually did it from your apartment um wcf show and um i wrote you a letter and i came on the show and you know you sort of gave me like my first break not like not not like i'm on major television but just being you know, a part of the show, and I believe we were talking about well, Bam Bam Bigelow and WrestleMania. I think that was the LT Bam Bam Bigelow. So it was a pretty cool yeah, experience. Yeah, that was right around WrestleMania 11, around that time. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, around 95 ish, I want to say. Yeah, 95. Yeah, that was WrestleMania 5, the 11th. Yeah. yeah, do you remember that when I went to your house and everything? Oh, yeah, yeah, very vividly. Yes, yeah, no. Um, strangely enough, I'm still living in where I'm to this day, but yeah, so. <laughs> But, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so I remember doing my show, shows from my house, you know, a couple of times. Even I did it as, as recently as a month ago, doing the show for the first time since I feel like eons, kind of like a historical moment there. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that, that's what it was. You know, I did, I did the show, I started it in 1994. And Wait, before you even you know, start... But before you even start that, um, how did you like? How did you even thought about doing the show? Like, what was like? Take me back. Like, what did you actually wanted to do when you first pitched an idea and sent it to Eminem to do a show? Uh, I'll be quite honest with you. Um, there was no format. You know, I mean, at the time, I, I knew I just wanted to be on TV, and okay. of course, I still do. But you know, at that time, there was no real format for me to do. I just, I just said WTF. Um, didn't, I mean, didn't know what it meant until, until now, but, you know, back then it was just, you know, WTF, because at that time, um, if you remember the WBF, mm-hmm. and for those who don't know, the World Bodybuilding Federation, yeah. that, you know, defunct literally in two years, yeah. but instead of WBF, I actually put T in the middle, as for my last name. Yeah. So that was just, you know, like a little inside thing back then at that time. So that was the idea of it. No real format. I knew I wanted to do something tape. I wanted to do it live originally, but I didn't know if I had the finances at the time. You had to, at that point, you would have to pay like weekly just to do a live show in one of the uh, studios like Jim Claddick's and whatnot. Eminem was doing live shows, but they were still in the, in the beginning stages of doing live shows from their studios. It was free. But nobody knew that much about it then. Mm-hmm. So, but now it's a little different, obviously. So, but back then it was just a little, you know, like introduction of like Eminem doing live shows from, from their studio themselves. So when you say Eminem for the people who are in different states, is Manhattan Neighborhood Network, and it's based out of New York City and Manhattan, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um. So what, how did you do? You just filled out an application? Like how, how take, you know, how does one... Make- I just simply just made a tape as they say, hey, we wanted like one episode of like what you want to do. They did, I'm sure they just figured, you know, there's going to be a format. Uh, I guess there was it, but I, I don't even remember what I did on the, on the, uh, on the pilot episode, so to speak. All I was, I, I submitted it and I applied the application like everybody else did. And next thing you know, two months later to say, hey, you've got a time slot. There you go. <laughs> and then shortly after, I decided to open a P.O. box. And, you know, that was my that was the old-fashioned way of people contacting you if you wanted, you know, to uh, be interacting with the fans. And back then, obviously, there was no social media. That was the closest social media as you can get. Yeah. So... So, you know, the P.O. box thing was the old-fashioned way. And by the way, I still have that same P.O. box to this day. <laughs> so that hasn't changed. So yeah. that hasn't changed in, what, 22-plus years. 
But but the bottom line is, you know, that was my social media. And later on, I started using the voicemail. That was my other way of social media back then, too, as well. So, again, same voicemail to this day. So, so I mean, I believe in the old-fashioned voicemail and the P.O. box way of communicating with people. I mean, I can still, you know, Twitter, Facebook, anybody, whatever. That's fine. But, you know, I still like the old-fashioned voicemail and P.O. box. Oh, it's it's crazy because back then, you know, anybody could buy replica belts now. And um, before you even started getting into the wrestling aspect of it, you basically had it was sort of like a sketch comedy WTF show, basically, right? So you made like yes. your own characters. Yes, I did. Uh, there were a handful of characters, and uh, the ones I can remember, I did, and I think you might do as well. There were a handful of people that would know right off the bat. I did something called Captain Moron and something called Dr. Simpleton. Now, those were just made up on the spot. I didn't really sat and thought of it. I just made it up right then and there. And I just came in, you know, bought the costume team in there. I was on a very low budget at the time. Very low, literally. I didn't even have a job, you know, wow. at that point. So uh, I only worked in the summer. But bottom line was, was that, you know, I did little things here and there. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. But mm-hmm. I just didn't know how to format it on paper. Mm-hmm. I just did it, you know. A few years, I mean, when I, when I, you know, not to jump ahead, but I, when I, we were doing wrestling at that point, it was still not exactly formatted, you know, here and there. But we, we tried, uh, I, at least I did, try to, you know, format as much as possible. So, but that was until BG, you know, the broadcaster. Yeah. You know, he did his show. He actually contacted me. Byron Graciano, and, right? you know. Yeah. Yeah, BG, the broadcast. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, um, and, and, you know, we still keep in touch. Yeah. You know, actually, we work literally next door. That's besides the point. Yeah. Um, he, um, he actually taught me, actually, believe it or not, how to format a show, you know, you know, just have something, you know, organized, you know, you, you have something straight to the point instead of just, you know, having all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, you, I wanted something formatted. I didn't just want, you know, oh, let's just do it for the sake of doing it. Now you have a simple format from beginning, middle, and end, and you have a transition in the middle. So that way it makes everything, everything totals, makes total sense. So he you did know, it. That's he, the best way I could just, yeah. So he did it back with you when you was doing the show from your house. He helped you format it, the show at that time, like put edit everything yeah. together? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he actually taught me how to edit a little bit before I went to college for it. Yeah. So, I mean, I edit, you know, as the dinosaur analog way on my own, but BG had taught me how to do it analog as well, but a little bit more professional. You know, there was a little secret here and there. I mean, which they could still be used today if you have two VCRs. So... It, 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 it was a simple process, you know, it wasn't difficult. And then there was a handful of producers that helped me along on how to format a show as well. You know, I, I mean, I can go on how many people helped me, but I know Byron was the first person that contacted me who had his own show to help me out. Oh, so Byron was already on the air before you was on the air at that time? No, actually, I want to say we were on together at the same time. Strangely enough, we started the same month, the same quarter. So without, without really knowing each other. Wow. So he started in 94, and so did I, and I did too. Um, from my understanding, he was getting popular, and, and a little bit I was getting popular at that time. And, you know, I mean, it's not like YouTube where you can, you can figure out how many people are watching, but, you know, back then you can figure it out by, you know, the voicemail or probably the, the, the P.O. box at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah. It wasn't. And then, you know. It wasn't like it wasn't like a ratings thing, right? You didn't. You just basically knew how many people left messages in your voicemail to know how popular you guys were, right? Exactly, because for the record, for those who don't know, there is no rating system on public access back then and even today. There is none whatsoever. So even to this day, you couldn't like you couldn't even tell me like how many people would watch a show live. Like, there's no way to calculate. Wow. Except for if, except for two ways, either if they decide to leave a voicemail after the show if they want to, or from from I've heard from various people that you can actually watch the the uh, the tally 
tally of how many people are watching it live on and off during the show at Eminem's website. Now, I don't know if you can still do that, but you can actually figure out how many people are um, listening to this. I mean, watching to this, excuse me. Yeah. So it's uh, like a little tally to tell you how many people watch, how many viewers, how many are going up and down. That sort of thing. Uh, so, um, how many episodes before you stopped doing skits and actually went into the wrestling aspect of it? Well, that's a... Well, let me see. Um, I did a lot. I would say at least six months into the show. Then shortly after, I slowly talked about wrestling, giving results, giving insight of what I thought. Mm-hmm. Of like, what was the cur- that current product back in 1995, which, you know, WWF and WCW, you know... They, they weren't so hot, but we try to. I try to make it work. So, <laughs> and 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 that time, you know, I also was. I won't say compete, but there were a lot of wrestling shows back then. You mentioned Canvas Cavity, mm-hmm. and that show was way ahead of its time because they show stuff from like Japan and stuff like the ECW before it, be, it became on the MSG network. Yeah. So. That was a, that that show was a way ahead of its time about wrestling, and wrestling shows were not, were very, were like pretty much a rarity around the ninety four ninety five era. You know, Canvas Cavity was one. There were a handful of shows. One may not some may not remember, but I remember quite well vividly. There was one called Square Circle Session. Now that the show actually did for the first time for me introduce me to indie wrestling. Because they were doing like indie shows from like the Lower East Side in a uh, in a laundry mat somewhere, with wrestling ring right down the middle. I'm not kidding. Were, to, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, in the projects in the uh, Lower East Side, they did wrestling shows monthly, and I forgot the name of the Fed right off the bat. I'm sorry, but yeah. all I remember was that they did wrestling shows there. And they literally had a wrestling ring right in the middle. It was also a training place too. Mm-hmm. Um, they they actually they did it in a laundry mat. Like during the day, they had their laundry, and then like in the evening, they had their wrestling sessions. But once they had the shows, the laundry mat was nowhere to be found. Oh. So <laughs> it was actually interesting at that time. So you know, so, I mean, I think a handful of uh, wrestlers that. That you may know came out of that too, but some may not want to be <laughs> want to even be known to do that. So, because it was a really small indie fed at that time. Uh, okay, so like um, I know you was watching other shows. You're talking about it now, but how did so watching those shows? It made you want to evolve WTF into like its own wrestling show at that time. Well, I mean, just to, just to go back, what I was about to tell you, um, the reason. Why- when I wanted to get into public access, this was shows like G Street Live, Mad Dog, and everything else. They kind of inspired me to do a show of my own. Yeah. But then, you know, Campus Cavity as well, when when they kept talking about wrestling here and there, I said, maybe I can do this myself. Okay. And then, I think the idea of, like, just starting from wrestling, even if we had no ring at that time, that came from somehow, from that show, um, not only Square Circle Session, but there was another wrestling show at the time <laughs> called, simply put, Wrestling Show. I'm not kidting. Wrestling, wrestling Show? show. Oh. And it was ton- done by Tony Rambo at that time. Yeah. And he would actually show indie wrestling as well. And then along the way, he would show um, WWF footage, which I don't know. He claims that he had copyrighted, you know, he was right to show it, but he showed it anyway. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. But he showed wrestling as well. So, I guess, me, I think I was getting popular with the wrestling thing because it was late at night and it was easy access rather than being in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just saying. So then, I think when the wrestling thing really started was when we we met this guy, Jason the Cutesist and TJ the Game Master at a garden show one time. Wow. And we kind of hit it off. Yeah, because they were, believe it or not, wrestling back behind the garden which you can't do today <laughs> but back then like in 1995 in march of 95 there was a house show and everybody's pretending to wrestle back outside of madison square garden mm-hmm. and that's how we were introducing wrestling in public access we didn't tape anything at that point we was just you know talking about hey you want to do this and then third 
and that's how the wrestling was born on WTF. So you basically met them backstage at a wrestling event, um, Jason and uh, TJ, and you just hit it off from there. Yeah, outside. Yeah, back, back, not backstage, but outside of Madison Square Garden. Because if you at the employee entrance, yeah, like every event, you would always go there, you know, to see the wrestlers get their autographs, take pictures. Some people would actually would stay there all day long just for that. So and people still do. Yeah. But the but the funny thing is, is that at that time people was just you know waiting for wrestlers, whatever. Some people just want to pretend they're wrestlers, so they actually wrestled back at the back of the garden. Some people thought it was real, but then you know they would just you know play wrestling or whatever, and then that's how I met them, like I mentioned earlier. Ah, okay. So, um, you exchange numbers, and you just say, like, what? How did you introduce them to WTF? You say, "Hey, look, I'm doing a show. I want, I want to get you guys involved." Yeah, it was supposed to be like a one-time thing, but then I guess it became an it factor shortly after. You know, we came, we we come up with the championship. Then that's when the WTF World Championship was born in 1995. Okay, so we 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 created that. And, he, and that championship evolved to its own character, so to speak, in years to come. That I like to, you know, take pride in that. Yeah, so you had, and back then you had no wrestling ring, so you was just pretty much wrestling in the parks and the beach, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly, because, um, you know, there was no access to a ring. The Probably the closest to it was that Indy that was in the Lower East Side yeah. and more importantly Johnny Rod but we didn't know how to contact him at that time we couldn't dare just walk into the gym and say hey can we use your ring Yeah. at that point so but that was not till later yeah. uh, I'll probably move forward to that if you want Yeah. <laughs> no no alright so then so you, you already had basically just two guys already you had Jason and you had TJ and then you had yourself so I, I I think I remember I don't know my memory's kind of foggy but I think I um Jason and TJ fought plenty of times right at the beach and at the park I believe right like it was you had exactly yeah and then yeah, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead no I mean yes we did it at the beaches we did it I want to say in the park um I forgot where so many multiple places you know it was a lot of um bullshit uh. Bullshit back and forth, meaning that, you know, they were talking shit back and forth. Hey, you know, I'm going to kick your ass. You're going to kick your ass. It was almost like that every week. Yeah. And then they wrestled, you know. And then after that, um, there was a fan, actually, that contacted Bobby Mail and who happens to, you know, say, hey, I wanted to wrestle on the show at that point. And, you know, there were a handful of people that did that, but sometimes I never responded back. Yeah. But then, but then that same person that wrote me that letter shortly after, uh, we ran into we ran into each other in the street, and we didn't live far from each other. And that guy was actually Angelo Vega. Oh, so he, he so yeah. So he he basically yeah. wrote to you. He wrote to you, and then it's cooked by a coincidence. You met him in the street, and then you pretty much live close to each other, right? Yeah. So. Okay. So what happens that, you know, he came, he became part of the show, and then, of course, there were a handful of people afterwards, Ed Lowe, shortly after, and, you know, everybody else, they, and and what happens next is that we we finally gather at the beach, it was in Brighton Beach, to be exact, and next thing you know, everybody was wrestling in the beach. <laughs> and, I mean, there's no, there's, no how, there's no way to explain this, you know, so... We just had guys wrestling literally in the beach in an open water where everybody was doing their thing, swimming or whatever. And you got Jason and TJ doing their thing. Yeah. And we were still filming. And not, and, not, and everybody else and totally oblivious that we were filming this. Wow. And, of course, BG the broadcaster was there, yeah. you know, providing commentary. So, yeah, so those were, like, you know, fun times at that time. Yeah. So, and to move forward a little bit, as we go back to another garden show, which was in October of that same year where we met, you know, other wrestlers at that time, where that, um, that event, we met a lot of people, which by the way, that event, that event actually is on YouTube. Okay. Uh, where everybody was brawling all over at the back of Madison Square Garden. And 
if you've seen that episode, that's where it's like you look. It looked like a riot was taking place. Wow. But it was really like I got. It was like a like a battle royal, so to speak. It was like a war games. Yeah. You know, but it was in the back of the of uh, the garden. And at one point, we all thought that we were going to get arrested because you know, literally, cops were showing up. But then we, you know, it was just pandemonium. It was one of those nights that I could never forget because we almost got in trouble. Yeah. But but we we met a handful of guys, including Havoc, Heartbreak Con, Chris, yeah. Jay Storm, and and there's a handful of guys I can't remember. But yeah, it it started to evolve then with more wrestlers and getting involved. And then at one point we were introduced to a wrestling ring later on with uh, Johnny Rods. Oh. And that was short-lived because he found out we were wrestling there constantly. Uh-huh. So, so how how did you gain like, how did you gain access to the wrestling? You just went there and then just started wrestling there. Well, we were invited. I think we were told by Chris Heartbreak Con, who actually knew Johnny Rods, and, and they were kind of like family, so to speak. I'm not sure in what way related, but long story short. They um, they pretty much hooked up us. Hey, you can wrestle here for a short period of time. This and the third, and we wrestled for a short period of time. Next thing you know, a few months later, we were told not to come back there. You know, they claim we broke the bottom rope, supposedly. <laughs> so could never prove that, but you know, <laughs> nonetheless, you know, we were never you know welcome back there. But however, Johnny Watts did recommend us to another uh, guy in Brooklyn who had a wrestling ring and thanks to Johnny Rods we were introduced to Arena PR by the guy named of Pedro yeah um I talked yeah I talked about, I talked about this with homicide too because he was sort of involved in it as well and it's kind of fascinating that you know there's a there's a lot of you know people who love wrestling and you know people you know look at it now and they kind of shun it now compared to what it was back then but there's so many people that were involved in wrestling and loved wrestling and Pedro was sort of you know forefinger Pedro who was sort of sort of like a I don't know he was more of, of a hustler you know he just was worried about the money first and if you get hurt you know he is not his responsibility but you know, he had the ring and he had an outlet for everybody. So how did, so you went to Arena Puerto Rico, you, you talked with Pedro and he gave, he, he let you guys get, go there every Saturday, right? Something like that or every Sunday? Almost every Saturday, almost every other Saturday. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That was where we were doing wrestling shows, you know, every other Saturday or every two, three weeks, depending, you know, we had enough footage that would last a few months or so. And that's that what, time. and back then it was a camcorder, right? You used a camcorder? Yeah, exactly. I used my camcorder. Exactly. It was like a one handheld camera, only one hard camera. That was me. So we didn't have two cameras because we couldn't afford one, obviously. Or yeah. nobody was 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 uh, able to provide a second one. So yeah. I was the hard camera. I was almost every every angle you can think of at that time. Um, so, how, how much did you have to pay Pedro? Like for everybody that was there, it was like ten dollars a piece, right? Oh, uh, if, if, if to to truth be told. You know, that was, this is like 20 years ago, but yeah. it was $10 a head for yeah. a wrestler to wrestle on the show just to, to give Pedro. It's not like, you know, I was pocketing anything myself. I never once did. Yeah. And I, you know, Pedro, you were just paying Pedro just to use the ring at that time, you know, and it became the norm for like almost three or four years. Mm-hmm. And then when you, you know, not to um, sidetrack, you mentioned homicide earlier. Yeah. I don't mind sharing this kind of a hilarious story. Um, we, we, you know, we, we knew Homicide back then as well. We were taping one of our matches at the time. I'm saying, I want to say it was around 97, 98 or something like that. Yeah. Um, there was a story where I was there for this. Um, Homicide and Jay Lover were tagging against, I think, I want to say the Hit Squad at the time. This is 97, or 90, 96, I want to say. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So... They were wrestling each other, you know, they were doing their thing, and uh, Jay Lover and Homicide won the tag belts. Uh-huh. You know, new tag team champions, this and the third, everything's all good, great. Problem was, was that Pedro has them wrestling in their own shows, because Pedro had their shows, Arena PR, every month, or whatever the case may be. So, Pedro was not exactly... Pedro felt that Homicide and Jay Lover were, like, congratulately obligated to wrestle for him at that time. Yeah. So, long story short... 
as soon as they got to the back, Pedro was not completely happy. Somehow he was berating Homicide, saying, hey, you should not win the tag ball, you know, another fed, blah, blah, blah. And then the Homicide was just going off. I like, Pedro, is it yelling the cardboard? <laughs> cardboard fell at the time. And he was like, is it yelling the cardboard? What are you talking about? And Homicide was just going mad to the point where it's like he went to under the ring he get the tools and intended to break the wrestling ring. Oh, my God. And Pedro was trying to, like, we were trying to calm Homicide down. And then to, the funniest thing about it is that Homicide left shortly after because he was mad. Mm. So, and he had every right to be. So mm. he left for that reason. So shortly after that, literally the police showed up. Mm. And... And you, and you see these two uniformed cops and an undercover showing up to the, to the gym and Pedro trying to explain what happened. And one cop said, well, he kind of looked at Pedro and like, well, give him the bionic elbows, he'll be just fine. <laughs> and the cop, they just laughed it off. It's like, what the fuck are we here for? They just laughed, so they didn't take it seriously. But that was just sort of a funny story when, when it came to homicide. And ironically, that was the first day I even met homicide, so... Talk about first impressions. Wow, but this um, homicide wasn't part of WTF. He was just doing this wrestling thing. Right? No, 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 no. At the time, we were we were transitioning to uh, IWW at the time, and he was part of that. Okay. So, and you know, that was when I met Homicide that day, where he just went off on Pedro, almost broke the ring, and the cops showed up. That was just like the funniest thing ever. I wish I had the the entire thing on tape. It was just too funny. Oh my God! Who are, there's a lot of um, independent stars now who are part of Public Access. Do you remember like a lot of them offhand? Well, let, you know, some may not want to admit this. That's fine. I don't care. But you know, there's some do, some don't. I think the one that you could say that came out of this at this point would probably be Loki. Um, he won't admit this. That's fine. But. You know, he kind of started in Pedro's, you know, at a sweaty gym in the church. Yeah. Which is fine. That's what we all called it, you know. And, you know, you know, he, he, he did good right after that. And then shortly after, when we went to the doghouse, not to, you know, jump ahead, you know, we did a lot of um, shows there at the doghouse. And strangely enough, if we could find this on tape, we had a match where... I don't think he wrestled, but he definitely had a re- he did a referee um, job with um, it was Burma versus uh, Sean Jenkins, and the referee at that time was Mike Mondo, and you may know him as Mikey from the Spirit Squad. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's like a handful of people that kind of made it that that did like either WTF or did public access in general. You know, that kind of started from there and just went on to bigger, better things, including WWE. Yeah. So, um, you know, doing the public access for a while, you know, you eventually had the ring. You was in Arena Puerto Rico. You had the crew. You had the manpower. Um, you was pulling in shows every week, right? There was really no reruns, basically. You was just putting in tapes to MNN every week of wrestling. Very rare reruns, and if there was, it was by probably like one or two, and very rare. And the only reason there would be a rerun if either I'm sick or we didn't have anything planned at that time. Yeah. So it was very rare that we were in reruns for any reasons. Yeah. So reason, excuse me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, more people started coming in, right? So where did like Jose the Duke come from? Um, Denise and like the rest of the people, like they well, were they all wrote to you as well, or you met them? No, before? no, 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 no. Jose the Duke, me and him went to high school together, and ah. that's and and I, and I didn't even know he was a wrestling fan then. Yeah. He said he was interested in wrestling. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. So, and he wrestled, and then he became famous then. Yeah. So, and like I said, you know, and I think he had a, a friend of his that came with him. So, Jose the Duke and I went to high school together. So, that's that's how we knew each other. And I believe Overdose, we later, he came later on, but he... um think he knew Angelo at that time, I yeah. want to say. So, I'm not sure, but there was a lot of people that knew this, knew that person, knew that person. Oh, it was a huge collaboration at the time, and, you know, so many people to credit it, it, it'll, take, it'll take the entire show to do this. Yeah. 
gotcha. And then you know, Mark and Mark Knight, Alan, and you know, basically you had your hosh, you know, hosh posh of guys doing the wrestling because they love wrestling and they want to be on TV. That's the big get go. Oh, I'm gonna be on TV. Make sure you watch me Friday night. So, or I think was it Friday nights or Monday nights? You at that time it was Saturday night. Oh, Saturday night. Okay. 11 p.m. My first time slot ever. I can never forget. It was. What is it? On uh, channel, believe it or not, it was actually channel 34 on, um, no, actually it was channel 16 at the time, yeah. which was the earlier channels. Channel 16, 11 p.m. every Saturday night. Yeah. On at that time, Matt, and Matt TV was just starting at that time, so wow. I was competing with that. <laughs> <laughs> so you had wrestling after wrestling. Um, eventually, down the line, you changed the format. Um, what was the reason you changed the format? Did, was it was a lot of people kept leaving, or did you had any guys? Like, what was the whole reason of the format change? Uh, format change at what, what time? Um, from the wrestling, like you know, you you was doing wrestling for a long period of time. There was I think it's WTF Wrestling Outlaws. Then it was WTF, and then like the whole. Wrestling kind of kind of fizzled a little bit. Um, what was the whole reason for that? Uh, well, um, at that point, if if you know to, to give you an idea what I'm talking about, what you're talking about is Arena PR kind of shut down in 2001, and the Doghouse shut down around 2000 and late 2002. I want to say okay. Um, around that time, just to give you an idea, I mean 2000 2003. And then between 2003 and 2010, we were, spare, uh, you know, we were in different venues, and we weren't taping as much as we once did because it was, it was, there was no other place to do shows like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the arena PR and the doghouse was the place to do things on a constant basis, but those days were gone. Yeah. Um. So, and the reason why the format changed is because we were doing less of the wrestling. It's not that we didn't want to wrestle. We had no access to do it at that point. We were doing wrestling here and there. We were doing here. You were doing there. And we were trying to do it as much as we can. But it was so difficult to um, to find a place to have, to have a steady place to do so when they were starting to charge people. Yeah. So when they were charging an arm and a leg to do shows, it was really difficult for us to do shows. To do wrestling shows, to, to be exact. So, and for the record, everybody's always wondered when did this thing with the adult entertainment came in when the WTF started that. I want to say in the early 2000s, 2002, 2003, when, when the doghouse kind of shut down. Even though we were doing it a little bit here and there, yeah. but we, 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 sl- we actually became a constant thing when you know, the doghouse shut down in 2002. Mm, That was, was, it was a major blow when that shut down, right? Big time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so no doubt. Yeah. Um. What happened? I'm saying you can't speak for the other shows, but I don't remember what happened to like the the other wrestling shows, like with Eagle Morales, I think, and like the other shows, like they just pretty much shut down too. Or you don't really know their whole story on that. Like I know there was other wrestling shows out there too. Then there was um, what is it, Big Time Jason, and all these other shows that they um, had. I know the Urban Wrestling yes. Federation. Yeah. That involves Lalo. I think. I think they just you know shut down themselves you yeah. know i guess they just stopped doing it i guess i don't know the exact reason but i guess they just wanted to stop yeah i don't know they never really there's no real straight answer so but but as far as big time jason i have not heard that man in a minute that guy um at that time he wanted to defeat me as far as you know who was the better wrestling show at that time yeah, <laughs> so you could say it was sort of like WCW against WWE, but in the public access version, right? Yeah, but I pay no mind to it. But he wanted to make it to make it to a feud along with the two two um, the the Ghetto Wrestling Fed, which was now the Two KW. Yeah, guys, they um, you know, I try not to start anything with them because I don't want to start with no feud with any shows or anything like that even today which i mean i could clarify a few things about that but i just don't want to like feud with anybody for what reason you know you know i know i'm no angel on a lot of things but you know 
you know, fighting over a public access spot can be a little bit silly. Yeah. I mean, on my part, you know, maybe that maybe there's reasons why people feel that way, but me, I, I, I have my own reasons that you know to feel like, look, you know, it's not a big deal, you know, it's just a public access state TV show. <laughs> So, um, so you say from 2010 you transitioned into the adult entertainment. Is that something you was always fascinated with, or? Um, yeah, even early as um '94. But at that time, I didn't know how to go about that because you know it was just me. You know, if I had a handful of people to help me out, I think it would have been earlier than that. Yeah. But you know, I just didn't know how to go about it. You know, I don't know who to ask. You know what I mean? Sometimes I. And I still do always need a little bit of, like, a hand, like, hey, point me to the right direction, and I'll go. Yeah. That was my thing. I'm just not, I'm one of those people that, you know, I always do need help, despite the fact that I feel like I don't, but mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so, what what was it, like, what what made you decide to do the transition, though? Like, because you said you didn't really have access to the ring, so this was pretty much your, like... You're saving grace. Like, you know what? Since I I can't have wrestlers wrestle in the ring because we have no access to the ring, I'm going to do something that I'm pretty much passionate about, what I love in my personal life. I just want to, you know. What's the next best thing I know? Yeah. Other than wrestling. So, it's like, okay, we could just do that. What what decided for me to do is that, you know, truth be told, um, in my early, in my high school days, I did watch constant porn. Yeah. You know, but I didn't, you know, you know, analyze every little thing. Yeah. You know, I was one of those people in New York that grew up with the Al Goldsteins and the Robin Bird and the Ugly Georges of the world yeah. at that time. You know, there's, there's, there's a handful of shows that we can, we can go on and on and on that was in the 80s that I can think of right off the bat. But, you know, the ones that stood out, obviously, was, you know, Midnight Blue, Robin Bird, yeah. and... And I think Ugly George wasn't on that much that I can recall because I remember, here's a little bit of history for some people. Um, I don't know if it's like this today, but Eminem, I mean, Manhattan, that is to be exact, Manhattan Cable, it was actually divided in two different parts of um, the island, north and south. And believe it or not, in the lower part of Manhattan, which is like downtown, you were able to see Sky London at the time. Oh. I think in the early 90s, late 80s. Yeah. And if you were like an uptown, you were not able to see that at all. But I had some people, you know, um, send me tapes here and there of the show. It was interesting. But, um, of course, uptown, you got all... And even downtown, you got Midnight Blue, Robin Bird, and a handful of shows. Okay. And... And I think some of it did, you know, didn't make it to public access. Some public access were like, you know, porn related, but that didn't let. Some didn't even last long around the nineties. So, um, the closest to that in public access, there was a show called In and Out with Dick. Yeah. He pretty much was, you know, reviewing porn a little bit on public access, literally not on Channel J or everything else. Literally on public access television. Wow. You know. You know yeah, so at that time. And that's where I saw Dynamite for the first time. And I remember Dynamite doing her own show. And mm. uh, later on when they had ELA, which was the old studio right next to the current Eminem studio. Mm-hmm. So, there was just like a lot of shows that, that, that was shot out of Cladic, ELA, yeah. that not many people know. Yeah. You know, that I could go on forever with it, but... But, but the bottom line is that, you know, I was very familiar with the uh, adult uh, shows that was on Manhattan Cable at the time. And some of it went and gone, but some I never forget. So a lot of those a lot of those influenced you into doing that? So you was watching those shows? Exactly, you're like, yeah. Okay. I figured, you know what, if they were doing, able to do that in public access, so can I. Mm-hmm. Especially if you if you could go by the, around the... Um, you know, the little rules that they have around it, you know, mm-hmm. and I actually learned more from that from BG himself, because, you know, he's familiar with the uh, broadcasting uh, rules and regulations and whatnot, which uh, some of them still stand today. Yeah. But, you know, the perfect example is that, you know, um, a 
while back, you couldn't eat, I think today you can't even show an erect penis. Yeah. But you can show a, a very soft penis, you know, whatever. It's all those weird rules that me and BG were talking about numerous times. About all these technical rules that you can get kicked off very easily. Wow, wow. So also, BG, you can see BG on the spot was also an influence on you too, right? Because he had his show, which was sort of like, it wasn't a porn show, but it was more of a, like a adult-type, hip-type show. It was a booty show, yeah. It wasn't an adult show. It wasn't, it, you know, it, it was closest to, you know, Midnight Blue, but it wasn't like insanely porn all, all the time. Yeah. Centric, so to speak. It wasn't porn-centric like that. But you know, it had it did it had that uh, aura to it, and you know, and, and honestly, BG was one of my influences doing that. Mm-hmm. So truth be told, you know, despite what anybody else wants to say, yeah, you know, and I can you know clarify a few things. Yeah, yeah. There's other shows out there like um like getting down to like I wouldn't say porn, like more of a of a adult entertainment type show, not like porn though, like uh, Dominican USA, speaking Spanish, um, shows like that. Or, or have those shows influenced you as well? Well, strangely enough, I remember the guy who did Dominican USA had a wrestling show, believe it or not, one time. Really? Was part yeah. of it. At one, yeah, yeah. Got a little fat. I don't know if he wants to be known, but that's whatever. Yes, and I remember... And I, and I remember speaking Spanish as early as its beginning. Mm-hmm. Definitely, no question. And um, any influences on that? Maybe there's some truth to it, but um, I could say that, you know, influence, yeah, but there was something else that a lot of people think that I was doing more than just being influenced. Yeah. But yeah, but like it had like an influence. Like you watch Dominican USA, speaking Spanish, uh, Robin Bird. You, you can say it, all these shows had influences on you because you know you you get a little you get you get a little something from each and every show, and then you know you just basically incorporate it into your own, right? Exactly, exactly. But you know, to clarify something, and this is why I wanted to bring this up myself. Okay. You know, I mean, there's a handful of people that think that I've actually. I can, you know, for lack of a better term, copy. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I'm sure you probably heard that before, too. Yeah, so, yeah. That um, you copy Big Al and speak in Spanish, yeah. Well, you know, to really kind of re- rebuttal to that is that mm-hmm. I don't believe I have or have done. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, you know, if you really analyze both shows, mine and his, even currently today, within the last 10 years, both shows are not identical in any way, except for the fact that we both shoot it in the same exact studio. Yeah. And that's the only difference. Yeah. You know, if this was in another studio, that, I don't know, it might be just be a little bit different. But to yeah. be quite honest with you, we shoot it at the exact same studio. And that's the only difference between me and him. The, show, the two shows are totally different, regardless of what anybody else would say. Okay. Um, how would you describe yourself in terms of attitude and personality? I'm sorry, what? What was the question again? I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Um, how would you describe yourself in terms of attitude and personality? Well, you know, funny you say that because I think when I started public access, I was completely shy. Mm-hmm. And I think public access actually overcame my shyness throughout the years. Mm-hmm. I could still be shy today, yeah. but I mean, I wasn't as shy as back then. Mm-hmm. But when I was in high school, I was totally shy. And that's when I started public access at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slowly but surely, I was overcoming the shyness that that I was um, trying to overcome over those years. And slowly, I was evolving to something, you know, that I wouldn't think I would ever become. To see, my key thing is, is that even with public access, I like to evolve to something different than just doing the same shit over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, part of that is because if you evolve, then you, at some point you might still be relevant to some people instead of just saying, oh, it's that guy who used to do that public access show. Yeah. You know, and I still get that, but then I like to evolve to say at least I would just want to, you know, make something different. You know what I mean? Because everybody wants to be stuck on the same thing over and over again, which I try to avoid. 
Yeah. Well, you know, everything evolves. The caterpillars to butterflies. Madonna. Everybody evolves. And, you know, you can't really do the same style. You know, that's what makes makes everybody unique when they become something else. Like, you know, you transform into something different. So I understand what you're saying, how you transitioning to wrestling to make your show more of an adult entertainment show. But then you do have wrestling at it sometimes. And then, like, you know, it kind of is like a hosh posh. Like, it goes back and forth. But um, are you content now? doing what you're doing and um do you feel that like you know when your show is on the air do you feel that a lot of young people watch your show or older people watch your show or you know because you can't really tell as as a young kid who's watching other shows you know you was young when you was watching midnight blue and robin bird like do you feel that you have like like to do you feel that you need to tame it or do you feel you need to just do what you want to do like what's your i mean Right now, I'm very content what I'm doing right now because I just want to have a simple format, just interview people, you know, and, you know, just try to have... It's not easy to come up with a live format show every week. It's not easy. People think you just, oh, just do it and then, you know, and see what happens. You know, some people think just, oh, you don't really need a format. You just, you know, go out there and think of something right then and there and hope for the best. Sometimes that doesn't work out because I remember one show, WTF, we even did early, we did shows as early as, uh, um, as 2003 when we were doing shows then. We were, you know, we weren't as polished doing live shows. We were just doing it just to do it. We were winging things. And I remember we had one guest that came on and, um, and believe it or not, he's like, he was a racist, but he was a, he was a racist friend of ours, which was weird. He was a white guy that was surrounded by, like, Spanish and black guys. But he was cool with us for some weird reason. Anyway, long story short, he actually put me on the side, and, and this is why I decided to format the show, on a, I try to format the show on a constant basis. He actually put me on the side and told me, hey, listen, Nelson, you know, I just wanted to give you this one advice. Try to format your show. Yeah. And... Once he told me that, I could never forget that because it's like, he's right. We're just winging things, which is fine, but we can't do it constantly yeah. because that can really run its course very quickly. Yeah. Um, what had, what has been your worst, like, has, has, what was like, have you ever had like a horrible incident that ever happened to you? You know, there's plenty of incidents that I can think of right off the bat. I think the first one was the first live show I ever did back in 1995 <laughs> and uh, the, that we, at that time I, I think I had the most guests that I ever had to this very day because I believe I had at least close to 20 people in Cladic Studio wow. and some many people think oh that's a great show you can have 20 people on your show that's awesome but it, it, it came off really bad it was it was so bad because everybody was trying to talk in one shot. Everybody was trying to say this literally in thir- within thirty minutes. And, and and I did put it on YouTube. My first live show ever back in October of nineteen ninety five. And back then, I was I, I didn't even know what the hell I was doing then. And <laughs> all I remember is that we were just you know we paid a couple of bucks to Cladic just to do a live show, and that was it. So. You know, it ended up really badly, but there were a handful of shows that, you know, and live TV, anything can happen, yeah. and some things do happen. A lot of it. Yeah. The one famous one I think, think that, that that went haywire was that, um, if you know that guy Apocalypse, he actually, there was an incident where, I just want to make sure I got this right, this has been a while, back in 2002, um, Negro Smith and Apocalypse went at it in the middle of the studio on my birthday. And Apocalypse got a chair, and next thing you know, he waxed Negro Smith in the head and knocked him out cold for a few minutes. And the blood was coming out of his head, and it was in the studio, and no one saw that coming. And it was to the point where we had to rush him to the hospital. And luckily, he, he was fine. You know, nothing serious, you know, nothing life-threatening at that time. You know, knock on wood, nothing happened at that time. But it, back then, we just knew, 
that point, you know, anything can happen on live TV. Mm. And, and it still uh, resonates today. Yeah. So, that's why, you know, is that you got to be careful of how you format the show. Even though things can happen on live TV, but you, you always got to make sure nothing falls apart. Okay, do you have um, any regrets? Lots. No, I'm kidding. No, um, no. <laughs> no, no regret? I mean, you know, it, 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 what happens, happens. It is what it is. Yeah. Um. What is your own personal motto? My own personal motto? Yep. It is what it is. It no, is what it is? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Oh, no. No, just, you know, just ha- for me, I don't have a particular motto. I just say, you know... Let's do this, and we hope for the best. You know, we, because like I said, I just want to. I mean, we format. I just want to make sure nothing at the end falls apart. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times that's happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have a particular model off air. Yeah. Okay. But like what, I said, it is what it is. All right. What will make you most happy in life? Ah. Good question. Just you know, even if I was to like not do this show anymore. I just wanted to, you know, continue on doing behind the scenes as far as television, which I'm kind of doing right now during the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's like I'm more content doing, you know, being part of a, uh, you know, television in the in television industry than doing the public access at times. But I still love doing public access television. You know, don't get me wrong about that. But, you know, recently I've actually, you know, got myself a uh, position in television during the day. So I'm, you know, content with that and I wanted to keep it that way. Uh, do, do people where you work at know that you do public access at all or that's something you keep private? I keep private. Okay. Um, what what so far has been your biggest influence in in doing the show constantly, like always doing it? Like, is there a, a particular particular if um, influence or just meeting people? Like, what's your biggest influence on doing it still to this day? Um, you know, just try to come up with something new every week as much as possible. My thing is is that the why reason I continue to do it today because I like to travel. And recently, within the last seven or eight years, I've got the opportunity to do that, you know, to go to, like, you know, these porn conventions that are outside of New York, like one Exotica in Miami, and even further going to the AVNs in Las Vegas back in 2010 for the first time, which I'll be going back very soon Mm -hmm. after seven years. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a thing about traveling. I want to see the world before I die. That's what I wanted to do. That's one of my main objectives. That would make me happy, if anything, just to see everything. I want to see every Major League ball card in person before I even pass on. That's just me. Yeah. And I just, you know, that's my thing. I just want to be there. I'm just one of those people that you got to be there, to, you know, to live in. You know what I mean? Not yeah. just stay home and just, you know... You know, worry about your sorrows and everything. You know, oh, a lot of regrets. When you mentioned regrets earlier, I don't want to think about regrets. I just think, you know what, just keep on moving. And if, you know, when people always, you know, um, misinterpret, you know, live life to the fullest. Living life to the fullest is that do as much as you can before you pass. Mm -hmm. Do everything that you want to accomplish. That's what makes me happy. I just want to, this is why I want to continue doing the show. I just want to travel. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, you know, see the world before anything happens. I just want to do everything before I pass on. Oh. You know, when I get older, obviously. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's just, you know, I just don't want to be stuck at home just, you know, you know, looking at back like, oh, I should have done this. I could have done that. That, you know, for me, I'm about to be 40. That shit has sailed. I don't need to worry about, you know, oh, I should have done this. I could have done that. You yeah. know, things happen. You just got to move on. Yeah. And hopefully within the next few years, another opportunity knocks. Doesn't mean, you know, when you're, when you're reaching at a certain niche, doesn't mean that, that you know, the opportunity is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to, like, you know, be patient. And, you know, and and that's and this is what makes me continue the show. Just have discipline. That's the key to, to having a public access show 
and that that's been around for 20 plus years. Just you know, have um, discipline oh, for is, yourself. No, is it hard to be in a relationship with a woman knowing that you do a show um, revolving around porn, or do they accept that? that? A, you... you know, I get that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I keep my relationships very private, and for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the few times I've dated women that that. That, um, yes, I do take women for the record. Uh, for those, um, for those uh, wondering, you know, at times they never really had an issue. Just a few times when I went on a date, they just don't like the idea of me being approached by fans and say, hey, I like your show, and they just keep wanting to have a conversation with me while I'm in the middle of a date. That mm. has happened on more than one occasion. Wow. So... You know, I can give you one example, you know, I think I, um, I was, I forgot, I may have been in Olive Garden, yes, I used to like going to Olive Garden for dates, but that's another story, and <laughs> I, we, we went, you know, we was just, you know, eating, no big deal, right, and next thing you know, this one kid just came up to me and said, hey, you know, sometimes, you know, I like your show, blah, blah, you know, oh, I appreciate it, and mind you, the date I had, I had no idea what the fuck was going on, so I had to explain to her later. That, oh, I like your show, thank you, you know, oh, and they were asking about wrestling stuff at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. So, and, and, the, and, the, and that one girl just looked at me like I was crazy, so I had to explain to her what was going on, and then she kind of understood. I never really had an issue where it's like, you know, oh, why are you showing this on your TV, you know, that's not right, or whatever. And, you know, I just had to be honest, when you're in a relationship like that, and you're on public access, the best thing to do is be honest. Mm-hmm. You have to. And then one other incident where it's like I was on a date and, and a different a- area, but the problem was was that this one guy brought up one questions in front of this woman, and she knew about my show. She uh, was a little upset at first, but then she just, you know, forgot about it later. But, but like I said, you know, things like that happen. When my, my, key, my, my advice to anybody, you know, if you want to do a public access show that's somewhat related to porn, and you had a relationship, you got to be on it, and she had to be cool with it. Yeah. So. That's cool. Um, two more questions for you, Nelson. Um, um, do you see your, what, do, what do you see five years from now with the WTF um, brand, WTF TV? That is a good question. Um, I've always been, and, I, and I'll say right here, but I've always talked about if I'm still going to continue this within the next five years. It's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that, you know, it might get tiring at some point. I don't want to be one of those people that, oh, let's just pass on to somebody else, you know, this and that. That's that's um, that, that's not my one of my beliefs, you know. It, it's it's not a family heirloom. You know, what I mean? a public access show is not a family jewel where you can just pass it on to somebody. And, you know, here you go, son. That's, that, that's you know, that's kind of kind of pathetic in some in some weird way. But, you know, within the next five years, I know whether I'm doing still WTF or not, I know I'm going to be involved in television one way or the other because I'm very happy where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm and i in a good position where I'm at right now. So yeah. I know in the next five years, I'll definitely be involved in television one way or the other. Okay. And my final question for you, Nelson, is what would the Nelson Torres of today tell the Nelson Torres of yesterday? I would just say, stop being too shy. Or better yet, stop being a pussy. <laughs> no, I'm just but you know, just I would just tell them, look, I will just tell them all the stuff I know now, and you may, and you may want to like, you know, get, keep in mind what's going to happen in the future. You, I'll just you know, lighten myself up. My early Nelson, just lighten myself. I was shy back then. I'll just lighten that person up. Say, hey, you know, just you know, be free. Don't be shy about anything. That's just say, just don't be shy. That's just me. Don't be shy. Uh, excellent, yeah, Nelson. Sure. No, that, that, that's my thing. I, I was a shy kid at the time. Yeah. So it, it really like ruined everything for me as a kid, even though a lot of people were shy at that time. But that was just my thing. Yeah. Oh, Nelson, thank you. Nelson, um, plug your show. Plug anything you got going on. Plug your social media. All right. Uh, first things first, the show is live every Tuesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. On channel 34, or if you go on the MNM website, it's mnn.org on MNM1. And if you want more information about the show itself, go to wtfworld.com.
That is the official website, WTFWorld.com. And finally, it, my social media, Twitter and Instagram, both are at WTFTV. And that's about it. And YouTube, don't let's not forget that. Go to YouTube.com forward slash WTFWorldTV. Uh, Nelson, I respect you for doing your own thing and you follow the beat to your own drummer. And wow, thank you so much, man, for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for having, you up, having me on. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. Hey, this is Paloma Star. And I also want to add, I did grow up in Texas as well as Mexico, but I was born in Cali. I'm a Cal girl at heart. I was born up in the Bay Area, up in San Joe, and there's nothing more that I want than to wrestle in my birth state of California. And all you West Coast girls, I see you. I see you out here in the West. I see you making waves and making a name for yourself. We see you all over the country over here. But we would love to go to the West Coast and show them what I got and go back to my birth state and hopefully maybe make my way over to Sabotage. You never know. So hopefully it'll come something coming soon. And West Coast girls, Sabotage, you ready? Don't miss your chance to be a part of wrestling history when Sabotage Wrestling presents Hey Ladies, Saturday, February 18, 2017 at the UEW Arena, 926 Cleveland Avenue in Los Angeles. Doors open at 7, bell time is at 8. General mission tickets are $20, front row tickets are $30 apiece. Don't miss your opportunity to see a 16-woman tournament to crown the first ever Sabotage champion. Participants include Heather Monroe, Delilah Doom, Kimmy Schoenhammer, and Caitlin Diamond, as well as special appearances by The Voice, Donovan Troy, and the one, the only, Thunder Rosa. For more on this show, follow them on Twitter at Sabotage2016 and check them out on Facebook at 2016 Sabotage Wrestling. And don't forget, Austin, Texas, May 13, 2017. Sabotage Wrestling is coming to you.